0: Welcome to this Diversity and Inclusivity Finance Forum podcast. Working for Difference, making business better and fairer. The Diff series of podcasts is aimed at helping people from underrepresented groups get into and get on in the mortgage and protection industry. And to help everyone understand why genuinely prioritizing diversity Is good for all of us individually, good for your business, and good for the mortgage market as a whole. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals participating, and not necessarily of their respective companies, either past or present. Hello and welcome to another Diff Trailblazer podcast. Today we will discuss being gay in the mortgage industry, and I am being joined by two gay men who don't represent the very wide umbrella of the LBGTQ plus community, but are here to share their personal experiences and some of their thoughts and thinking with us today. So would you like to introduce yourselves
1: gentlemen? Yeah, good morning and thank you, Barrett. So my name's Steve Seal. I'm the CEO of Bluestone Mortgages, one of the specialist lenders that operates in the UK mortgage market.
2: And good morning. My name is Richard Thomas. I'm an events consultant working at Legal in General. I'm responsible for the LNG Mortgage Club.
0: Excellent. So let's start off by discussing if you come across any hurdles. And I'm always interested in this sort of thing because in the privilege Walk, which a lot of our listeners will know about, One of the questions is take a step back if you've not been able to talk about your partner at work. So, Richard, you first of all, do you think you've faced any hurdles in getting where you are today?
2: I don't believe that I've faced any hurdles necessarily in terms of the actual roles that I've undertaken. But where I feel that the hurdles are, it's maybe more to do with How your interaction with people in the workplace and the fact that sometimes, particularly when I was a younger man, I felt a need to almost hide that part of myself because I felt that if I didn't, then people might sort of discriminate against me or maybe prejudice or or they might just have an opinion about me. I don't know. And the thing is, I had no hard evidence to back that up. It was more a feeling in myself that it was something maybe that I should do, particularly at the outset when starting a new role somewhere, that you're meeting new people for the first time and you just want to get on with everybody and you feel that if you come out blazing that you're a gay man, that that might put some people off. And it shouldn't be that way, of course, but that was almost an internalised hurdle that I felt. Luckily, as I've matured, I've completely transformed my way of thinking in that. And I no longer feel that pressure to sort of make that part of me invisible. But I definitely think that it is something in society that affects employment across the spectrum. I think there's probably a lot of people, depending upon the nature of their of the jobs that they do, where they feel that they might need to hide that part of themselves because it might cause them aggravation. It might cause them to be thought of as a, an outsider where they work and maybe they're trying to avoid that particular type of scenario. Steve,
0: have you faced any hurdles or, or think that you've been made to feel uncomfortable or couldn't express yourself properly?
1: Yeah, I mean, perhaps the latter rather than the former. I mean, I think there'll be a lot of synergy here between kind of my experiences and Richard's from what from what he's just said. So a hurdle is an interesting definition, and I guess it depends how we're measuring kind of hurdles. But from a career perspective, I don't think being gay has stopped me developing in my career. I think one of the key reasons for that is, of course, being gay is a relatively easy thing to camouflage or hide from other people. You can do that without just talking, you know, being too open about your own experiences and your own, your own personal life. And some people just choose to do that normally anyway. So there's not necessarily anything particularly unusual about that. So I don't think it's necessarily stopped me developing in my career. But what it has done is certainly influenced my willingness to be completely open with people throughout the industry, whether that's in my own business, historically, or perhaps as I've kind of been traveling through the market and my career, and particularly things like industry events, I can certainly remember sitting down at the big award ceremonies through the years, and you know, your conversations naturally evolve, and people ask whether you're married and, and whether you've got kids. that fear i think quite similar to what richard was saying that you're going to be judged if you're open about your own personal circumstances and the fact that you're married to a man rather than to a woman and as a consequence of that you, you don't have children and it's a fascinating piece barrett because whenever i found myself in that situation historically i was always quite guarded and you'd use the terms like when i was defining my partner i'd say they are a teacher rather than he is a teacher as example but in the modern world i don't kind of feel that same fear so similar to richard but the point i was just going to come back to there is I think it's all about fear rather than reality. So I think that's a fear that I had in myself. I can genuinely say, whenever I have, you know, and as our confidence has grown, as attitudes have grown through the industry. I've never, ever found myself with an experience in the mortgage market where when I have been open with people that I faced any kind of challenge or issue in terms of lack of acceptance or or kind of being made to feel uncomfortable. So it's very much a fear within myself from a society, I think, rather than the mortgage industry specifically.
0: Richard, I think we discussed however, that in a team scenario, you did feel to a certain degree marginalised at some point
2: in your career. Could we talk about that? Yes, of course. So I won't obviously name the business involved, but when I joined a particular team, it became quite clear to me after a couple of months that my colleagues who were heterosexual males had sort of formed this sort of bond outside of work and were doing sort of social things, which is fine, that's completely their prerogative. But it was changing the dynamic, obviously, within the workplace as a result. And also, another colleague joined who was also a gay man And he wasn't asked to sort of join that particular group outside of work either. So it was just the two of us who were sort of left out. And I don't know whether that was a conscious or an unconscious thing on the part of those guys. And I I wouldn't like to, I I would imagine it probably wasn't, but nevertheless, it did make me feel marginalized. It did alter the team dynamic a bit because I'd come into work and I would feel like that I was being made to feel like, like was sort of other from everybody else. So Whilst that didn't affect my career progression or my career performance, it certainly did have an impact upon myself from a mental health perspective, because it started to make me think, well, why can't I be asked to participate? You know, we seem to get along perfectly fine within the workplace, yet I've never asked if I want to go along to any of these other events. And, and interestingly, to sort of back that up, if we had a, a heterosexual male come into the workplace and join the team, they appeared to be asked to sort of join in with them. So... That felt very deliberate Again I don't know whether That was conscious or unconscious But you know That marginalisation It's certainly not a particularly It's quite a negative Situation to be in But again I've matured since then You've got to make of it What it is It is what it is At the end of the day And I sort of got over it and I I realised that there's enough positive elements within my life not to sort of get too bogged down in in other people, really. But, you know, it wasn't particularly the best scenario. But at the end of the day, I can't force people to invite me to join in with things. We all have our own lives. So, yeah, it was unfortunate. But, you know, you get over these things, Barrett. You do, but... Obviously, in an ideal world, you shouldn't have to. No, absolutely, 100%. But I wouldn't like to confront a colleague based on sort of just an assumption that I make. Well, whether it's an assumption I'm making that that's the case, I feel that would be quite an awkward conversation to have and because it doesn't necessarily impact upon directly within the workplace it's something that's happening outside of work I'm not having any physical or mental abuse or discrimination you know that's very obvious in that sense it's a very difficult complex scenario to be in and nowadays attitudes are changing maybe I might feel a little bit more inclined to discuss it with my line manager and some of the individuals on a very sort of informal basis but back then I just let sleeping dogs lie and just got on with it
0: but that sense of othered of being made to feel different and unwelcome is pervasive and does impact on your mental health, and it really should be something that we should watch out for. Do you think, and this is just a question, that happened because it was a male team? If it had been a more mixed team with more women on it, you know, Steve, do you think that? Teams made up of all men and all women behave differently towards the gender issue than teams where there are men and women mixed?
1: So, so again, I'd say historically, absolutely, Barrett. So, I think there's always been that masculinity within male dominated teams. You turn the clock back, you know, kind of 10 years or so, then. Absolutely, that would have been a greater factor in a team than I think it is now. I'd argue I've generally, this is a, a sweeping generalization, but I've generally found females to be more accepting of homosexuality than men or, or straight men. So I think if there's a greater balance between the team, then that could have easily changed the dynamic and the power base within that kind of or within teams generally. I mean, I really sympathise with Richard and that kind of experience that he's outlined. though I'm fortunate I can't think of a situation where I've ever kind of felt alienated in that sense in the workplace, but I can imagine how difficult that would have been and how that kind of played on on Richard's mind. So I do sympathise.
0: Indeed. And so we've touched on the attitudes have changed and we can come back to discuss what expectations somebody who is a gay man in our industry should have in terms of various feelings and things that they can discuss. But I would like to talk about being a a cis-hetero male, the coming out experience. Is it, you know, I've read quite a lot about it, is it or was it a thing? Do you have to go through a process and say, right, This is what I'm going to do. This is who I'm going to tell. This is how I'm going to tell it. I mean, in a workplace, was it a day that you decided to tell everyone, or was it a gradual process? Uh, Richard, how did it prevail for you?
2: So, I'm going to start off by saying I know that Steve and myself are of a similar generation, and I suspect that our experiences are probably quite different to younger gay men nowadays, because obviously society has has changed rapidly. From myself uh, specifically, so. I actually came out to my friends when I was 23 and to my family when I was 24, which is actually quite, quite a late age, actually, compared to a lot of other gay men, uh, particularly the ones that I know of. I was actually bullied at school for being, well, people used to call me gay, and I didn't actually understand why. It was almost like I'd had the label imposed upon me before I even knew myself, before I even realised. I suspect it's because um, I can have some feminine traits, and that's absolutely fine. And I'm I'm sort of quite theatrical. And I think that that also is a big indicator, potentially, sometimes of, of why people might think I was that way. So I then went through a period of denial for quite some time, because I almost didn't want to prove the bullies right. It was a very, very difficult time. So I was sort of in a lot of emotional turmoil, because I was was realizing that actually maybe I was identifying as, as gay but I was then pushing back against it because like I said I didn't want those bullies to be proven right but ultimately common sense prevails and you you have to sort of develop your identity and I went to university I was exposed to a, a wider group of people and culture I went to university in London and even after graduating from university I was still quite closeted because I was still quite fearful. My best friend, though, he actually confided into me that he was actually starting to sort of potentially think that he might be gay as well. And that sort of instilled in me some more courage. So eventually I did make that decision. I actually remember the day I said it out loud to myself because I always believe that when you say it out loud, it makes it real. It makes it concrete. I chose to tell my friends first, Many of them actually suspected it anyway, which is absolutely fine. And they were very supportive. Telling my family was much more challenging. Not that they were negative or that they were abusive or that they were angry. They were just shocked a little bit, which shocked me. And unfortunately, I felt the need at the time to just, I told them and then I wanted to move on. And I kind of closed down from talking about the situation any further because they had lots of questions and were trying to make sense of the situation. So I didn't help the situation in that respect at the time. And if I I could go back and do it again, I wish I'd had more open conversations rather than just shutting myself off once I told them. But in terms of the actual experience, I was terrified because I knew that my life was going to change and that the way people would think of me would change. And, you know, I came out in the early noughties but obviously I had I can trace it back to the mid-90s maybe even earlier potentially when these feelings and thoughts were sort of first entering my psyche I suspect nowadays a lot of young men feel much more comfortable with it but at the time I was very very afraid I I. I didn't know how people would react. Luckily, a lot of people were supportive. And I'm glad to say that actually the bullying that I experienced in school, I haven't actually experienced really other than I've had the odd remark over the years every now and again, but I'm I'm much thicker skinned now to be able to just brush it off as just their own ignorance, their lack of understanding, their lack of empathy, and it's their problem, not mine. And I am what I am. But what people need to understand who are um, heterosexual is that obviously we live in a heteronormative society, well, a society where the heteronormative is the dominant sort of way of living and and obviously attitudes are shifting. But what they have to understand is they don't have to have this experience that we do. And it's very different for everybody. And for some young gay men They've got families Who are not accepting Who will kick them out of the house Who will not want to know them Who will basically disown them Luckily I didn't have that situation But there are people out there Who still have that And it's awful because, So they fear that Because they know that That might be a possibility So I I would pledge and, and I would urge sort of colleagues across the industry who are heterosexual to sort of try to put yourself in the shoes of anybody in the LGBTQ plus spectrum who has to have some form of coming out experience, however dramatic or however understated. There's a lot of complex emotional response and goes on in the person's psyche and it can be quite terrifying. So as much understanding and support if you happen to know somebody who might go through that experience... In the future. That's what I would say, because it is a very unique experience that they have no experience of themselves because it isn't expected. Straight people don't have to come out because that is the the normal in inverted commerce expectations. So hope hope that gives you a sense of sort of my personal journey.
0: Steve, do you have anything different or a different take or perspective on that?
2: A little
1: bit. I mean, my experience is, I mean, I, I came out earlier than The Rich. So I, I came out in 94, which was pretty young. I was 17, but I met my life partner in 17. So my life was kind of evolving at that point. I remember... If you split it, I guess, between personal and work, coming out to my family was not in a particularly controlled or or certainly not controlled in the way that I would have wanted it to be. So that was much more emotional. But I guess to keep it work-focused, I think I was lucky enough that when I was 17, working for a very large lender at the time, somebody else within the team that I was working in was gay, a couple of years older than me, and, and was completely out. And as a consequence of being completely out, was also completely accepted by everybody through the business and the team that we were working in and he as an individual gave me real confidence at that time particularly after i'd formed relationship with him to be much more open about my own circumstances and my partner and my life and having spent probably the next six or seven professional years of my life with that same employer i went through a fairly positive journey i think with with that business and the people in it about being very open about who i was and i never kind of faced any challenges i think my challenge has then been that as i've changed employers and i guess as my career has kind of evolved since that point and and moved around to a degree i've almost had to repeat that journey of getting myself in a position where each time you enter a business you have to get yourself in a position where you start to feel comfortable and I don't think I've ever walked into a business yet where on day one I've been open about who I am and I've just been me because there's always been a need to feel and to go to Richard's point you know this shouldn't happen because if you're straight you don't have to do this but there's always been a point where it's taken a period of time before you feel comfortable about the business and the people in it that you can kind of make a judgment in terms of what reaction you're going to get when you start to talk openly about your sexuality and your partner and and who you are. So perhaps different experiences, but there's certainly some synergy between the two of them.
2: Barrett, I would add to that as well, that in terms of my workplace experiences, I mean... I may have been more guarded, like I said, when I was a younger man. And like Steve says, you know, I wouldn't walk into a new place of employment and sort of, you know, start shouting from the rooftops about my sexual orientation to everybody. But now I don't even really make a point of, coming out as such if just somebody asks me you know if they just ask me I'll just tell them but I won't necessarily make a point of saying oh I'm gay because I don't think that's needed most of the time it just pops up in conversation and a lot of people sometimes they just assume I am and and that's fine and it just goes from there I feel much more comfortable now as a 43 year old man not having to hide that part of me anymore but at the same time I don't feel like I need to sort of make a point of shouting it from the rooftops because why do I have to if you see what I mean,
1: Barrett, let me just come in on that because I think that's a really fascinating comment. Because for me, one of the things that certain things wind me up, I guess, and one of the things that I get annoyed about, I think, is that if people find out you're gay, they'll say, Well, why, why didn't you tell me? And, and my response to that is often, "Well, you never told me you were straight." And it's that kind of thing that there's there's the expectation that because you're gay, you have to tell people that you're gay. Whereas I don't see why. You know, people don't introduce themselves as straight. So why do I have to introduce myself as gay? I'm just Steve, if that makes sense. And it's a and that's kind of a key point.
0: That's a very good point, Adley, And and it, at what point do either of you feel it is appropriate for for somebody to ask you if you're gay and how should they ask you? Because I I wanted to move on to. What is the acceptable language to use? So is there an offensive way to ask you? Obviously, there's lots of offensive words to use in this environment. But is there a way that somebody could just say, Steve, Richard, are you gay? Would you accept that and say, yes, I am, and then just move on?
1: Yeah, you see, so that wouldn't bother me at all. I know a lot of this will be about people's personal preferences and, and the language that's used. So one of the words that we were bouncing around in a conversation the other day was the word queer. That's kind of come back into modern dialect, I think, and is used quite commonly now. But for me, it's a word that I find really offensive because when I grew up and I was going through my formative years, that was quite an insulting word and it was kind of used in a negative connotation against people who were gay. And I guess that has always stayed in my mind. So when I hear that word, it doesn't create a positive image or, or kind of make me feel good good. If somebody asks me if I'm gay, I have no issue with that whatsoever.
2: I completely agree with you, Steve. I'm not particularly fond of the word queer either because I think, again, back in the day, it was a very, very negative and insulting term to use. Obviously, the gay community have decided to own that word and sort of turn it on its head, which is fantastic, and I, I applaud them for doing that because that's how you throw it back and weaponize it back at the people who used it as an insult in the first place. However, the sting of how it was used back in the day still lingers with me. So whilst I wouldn't. Personally ever get upset by another gay man referring to themselves as queer. It isn't a term that I'm ever going to use to myself. And Barrett, in answer to your question, there are many ways in which people can ask you if you're gay that are insulting depending upon the type of language they use and also the tone in which they're asking you as well, which is obviously very difficult to get across because you need to be in that sort of situation. If somebody's just asking you in a polite way that's just part of a natural conversation, that's absolutely fine. But of course... If you've just got somebody who just comes up to you aggressively and just sort of bluntly asking you, then that might give you cause to go, hang on a moment, why are you just suddenly asking me this out of the blue? I prefer when it comes up naturally in conversation rather than being sort of the first initial point that they're asking, you know, question that they're asking. So it very much varies upon the particular situation that you're in. So there are definitely positive ways and there are definitely negative ways. And if I ended up in a situation where it was negative... I would feel very much that I would want to address why they need to know rather than actually asking the question because I would question their intentions if they were being aggressive using a sort of a tone that was unpleasant or aggressive.
0: How do you think that, we can only really talk about gay men because you're both gay men, how do you think you're supported with institutions like Stonewall There seems from a sort of Asian perspective, there seem to be a lot more things around to support gay men or or gay people in industry, in commerce, than there was to specifically support people from underrepresented ethnic and coloured groups. Do you think that's true or, or is that just a perception I have?
2: One thing I think probably needs to be pointed out is obviously, you know, Steve and myself, we probably class ourselves as white and middle class. So, therefore, our experience is going to be very different to maybe somebody with a different ethnic background, which is maybe tied and they have very strict religious beliefs, which means for them identifying as lgbtq plus it's probably going to be very different to what Steve and myself experienced because religion obviously tied to sexual orientation is a I mean I don't want to get into that in, a, in any great depth because it's not my experience but what I'm saying is there is a vast spectrum of experiences for gay men depending upon other factors as well you know where you live in the world the type of government that you're under your socio-economic background your religious beliefs or the beliefs of your family the culture you were brought up in so we mustn't ignore that either and the thing is stonewall and other organizations like that they're fighting for the rights of lgbtq people across the world and particularly in countries where being gay it can get you in serious trouble it can get you arrested it can get you interrogated it can get you even given the death penalty for instance in certain circumstances so that's why those organizations absolutely are key and are still needed unfortunately in this day and age
1: personally i think i'm quite distant from those organizations they do great work but i'm not particularly close to their activities i mean that's almost an interesting point in itself that you know as, as a gay man i operate in a relatively this will sound terrible, but as a gay man, I kind of live and operate in a fairly straight world. So I'm not particularly associated with Stonewall. I couldn't really talk tangibly about their activities and their work and their focus. And perhaps that's a negative on me as a gay man in in this world that I should be closer to kind of supporting the activities of of people like that but I'm not close enough to them I think Barrett to kind of make a solid judgment but I think just to the origin of your question you were talking around whether or not there's support functions that are available to support gay people and again it's just my own personal experience and Rich might feel differently I've never found myself in a situation where I felt the need of a support group I think we've both been very lucky to have traveled through the last 15-20 years where attitudes have changed materially than where they were 10, 15, 20 years ago, that we can now live broadly in a very open, honest way that the need for those support businesses and functions and charities are not as relevant today as they were 15, 20 years ago to people like me and Richard, individually.
2: Yeah, I would agree. I've not personally had to call on the services of any of those organisations. I'm very lucky I have a network of friends I can call on who are very supportive, should I need it. But it's nice to know that they are out there, should I ever find myself in that circumstance. But I'm just glad to know that they're out there helping those people whose backgrounds do require their support. I another think we, we
0: did a whole podcast on intersectionality and the layering of issues. So if you happen to be black, Muslim, and gay, your situation isn't made three times more difficult. It's much more than that. And I think I accept the points that you both eloquently made, that uh, where support is required, there does seem to be support out there. And I'm sure that either of you would be happy to help anybody should anybody listening to this podcast want some more information or support from you so let me before we go on to some more esoteric issues do you think and and this is just a i think you'd accept this from a heterosexual male who is sort of trying to drive a a diversity and inclusivity agenda do you think especially you steve as a gay ceo it gives you a little bit of an extra edge to have diversity and inclusivity front and center of your thinking when building a team?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think diversity and inclusivity is a growing agenda anyway. Clearly, it's something as an individual I'm going to be passionate about because I'm part of one of the component elements of that diversity and inclusivity agenda. So I'm always going to be heavily invested in it. But I think one of the real positive things that we see rolling through The financial industry at the moment is the growing agenda, both from the regulator and businesses generally, and obviously supported by wider society motivations, that the diversity and inclusivity agenda and the equality aspects of that. Are really key and certainly within our own business you know we within my business we have a very diverse group of colleagues that I hope the culture within the business that manifests through my business is is very positive and embracing of all of those individuals regardless of their backgrounds and I think it's incumbent on me as a, as a leader in a business like this but not just in my business within the industry to advocate for positive change from a diverse and inclusivity perspective hence the conversations you and I have been having Barrett recently about how we can not only drive change our own businesses, but through the industry and society in general.
0: And Rich, do you think that being gay gives you a, a, a sort of greater empathy for the need for DNI and a need for understanding and, and wider experiences, bringing to bear in teams and especially in financial services?
2: One hundred percent, Barrett. Because that sense of marginalisation that you know you feel sometimes as that sort of component element of dni it doesn't take a great leap to be able to empathize with people from other segments of DNI who also feel marginalized for whatever reason. So whether you're a woman or you're you're a person of colour or you have a disability or you are on the LGBTQ plus spectrum. You know, these are all relevant parts of DNI and I know that there's a lot more to DNI than just those particular examples. And so I feel that we should be more mutually empathetic because I think if you look at it, there are a lot of people out there who are on the sort of DNI spectrum in some way. And obviously we just need to continue to make our voices heard. And obviously, I work for a legal in general, which actually in all fairness does a fantastic job of promoting diversity and inclusion. I've really seen a significant step change in that area in the last few years. And we have um, very educational um, lunch and learn sessions, looking at different elements of d We've got an inclusion week coming up. I obviously work with the Mortgage Club and we've started to host our own d webinars, looking at different elements of that topic. And there's just more and more of that coming out. And in fact, I remember the other week, oh, we have a sort of a, a hub, which is our Main intranet. And there was a, a story on there about a colleague from one of the other offices who was an openly gay man and he was just talking about his experiences in this blog about what it means to be a, a gay man working for Legal in General, the support he feels, how he feels comfortable, how he doesn't feel pressurized. And that wasn't even anything to do with, you know, a particularly um, it wasn't a Pride Month. It, uh, it wasn't tied into anything of any significance. It was just part of that ongoing DI conversation to educate the work. Force and make us all allies of each other. Essentially,
0: that's a very good point, and um, you touched on something that I know. you, Richard, are very passionate about, and uh, I'd be interested in your view, Steve. But this is the idea of brands and companies jumping on the bandwagon and being tokenist during Pride Week and sponsoring this and sponsoring that, but not actually doing anything fundamental to change their soul, as it were, to be more embracing of diversity and inclusion. You have some very strong thoughts about that, don't you?
2: Yes. If people aren't aware of the term, it's called rainbow capitalism, which can be seen as brands jumping on the bandwagon of pride to use it to almost exploit the pride in order to sell their goods and services, essentially. And it's becoming much more transparent when brands are doing that and they're being called out more when they're just using that as a platform to sort of promote their business, but they don't actually engage with the LGBTQ plus community at any other point during the year. And there's another term as well. It can be called pinkwashing, where basically it's just seen as insincere and ignorant use of the LGBTQ plus experience to sort of further their business. But there are those brands out there that are sort of realizing now that it can't be tokenistic. It can't be just about one month of the year because Pride you should have pride all year round. it shouldn't just be about one month, and businesses should have pride in their LGBTQ employees and customers and stakeholders. All year round, not just showing that support in one month. Just to give you an idea of how brands can further their engagement with the community. If you you look at the fashion label Balenciaga, they actually donate 15% of their pride collection to what's called the Trevor Project. And the Trevor Project is an incredibly well-known organisation for young LGBTQ youth in America. And from the sort of financial services side, I was just reading up the other day about, so J.B. Morgan and Chase, the sort of American bank, they actually support LGBTQ organisations throughout the pandemic. They support LGBTQ elders who are actually experiencing um, marginalisation that's been sort of boosted by the pandemic. And they sort of put a lot of money towards making donations to organisations to support those individuals across the country. So that's just two broad examples of brands going the extra mile to actually show to not just talk the talk, but actually walk the walk in this space. And I think it's really important that more brands understand that they can't be superficial, that if they're going to support this community, that it needs to be more embedded in many more different aspects of their corporate culture and their customer and employee engagement. And that if you're going to be superficial, be expected to be caught out particularly on social media people will call out brands who are just being exploitative at the top of the hat now
0: i think that's absolutely correct and they do need to be called out and should be and i, th- and I think it goes beyond pride i think it goes for all brands that are tokenist and very superficial about taking on DNI, you know, with a passion. It belongs in the boardroom. It doesn't belong as a subset of a HR monthly meeting, although it belongs there
1: too. I think we saw a similar kind of trend around the BLM, Black Lives Matter kind of concept as well, didn't we, where businesses were embracing what are described as on-trend messages to drive commercial value, whereas Rich's point, without being able to demonstrate that actually the, the core principles of what they're trying to promote and advocate there are actually embedded through their businesses it's purely a capitalist attitude to drive commercial value by using the the brand which is a terrible thing so um yeah agree.
0: finally I, I just want to sort of touch on and again uh, Steve I was hugely impressed with the makeup of your board and it seems to me a lot of boards should look like that but particularly in financial services boards tend to be monosexual heterosexual and monochromatic how do you think we can move that along at the very highest level
1: i do think it's really difficult so i think from a bluestone perspective our board has gone on a bit of a transition recently anyway so clearly i sit on the board as one member of a dni characteristic that kind of creates some change there we have an Asian female on the board as well, which which also creates some diversity. And I think that's great. And I think the, the more diverse a board can be, the better it is for the business. And the greater the opportunity then for those boards to drive cultural change and to embed that cultural change, in the DNI principles through their respective businesses, but also, also the industry generally. But I think board structures are a complex thing anyway, because you've got to get that balance right between the skill set and the capabilities of the individuals who are going to be sat on those boards versus the DI characteristics. And I think positive discrimination from a board appointee perspective is a great thing. But also the core principles have got to be there in terms of the credibility of the individuals that are on the board from a professional standards perspective, just as much from a from a D and i perspective. So I do think there's a very difficult balance to be struck there, Barrett.
0: I was quite fascinated. There was an article in the FT recently, which said that there was a huge increase in the American top 500 companies of the role chief diversity officer. Uh, And it's come from nowhere to a significant role, sometimes as a board position. So, So Richard, do you think that in the UK and certainly in financial services, we should be looking at creating a role that's empowered with budget and processes of something like a chief diversity
2: officer. Barra, I think it's almost inevitable that that's going to be the case. And I would hope that certainly starting off with the bigger brands who already got D&I very high up on their agenda, that that actually becomes embedded within their sort of corporate structure, because I feel then that it's making a serious statement about your support of that cause. So yeah, I don't know if that's something that legal in general are necessarily planning. I hope it is. But I would certainly like to see more and more of that across all industries, particularly in an industry like financial services, which has sort of been dominated by the white middle class males for a very, very, very long time, I think it would be a really exciting new chapter in that industry to see those sorts of roles being implemented in some of the larger companies within that sector.
0: Excellent. And so let's just hope that that sort of thing happens and thanks a lot guys and hopefully uh, we've thrown some light into the dark if there is any dark out there and if there's anybody listening to this podcast that has any issues then please reach out to us or please reach out to Steve or Rich you can find them on LinkedIn quite easily and thank you very much. If you have enjoyed this episode and want diversity and inclusion to have as wide an audience as possible make sure you share with your friends and colleagues and hit the subscribe button, so you never miss an episode.